This is a Relay Project. Real Talk starts right now. Here's Ryan Jesperson. We welcome you to this Friday edition of Real Talk. Thanks for making time for us. Jesperson here, John Hicks, the Good technical morning. producer of the show, riding shotgun on this Friday. We've got a, a big show in store, a great show in store coming up in about a half hour's time. Our Real Talk roundtable presented by Urban Timber. We're going to ask the question that I think a couple of million people are going to be asking between now and May, and that is, can progressives win in Alberta? We're going to talk to two of the founding members of a new PAC, a new political action committee, as I, I believe it's tentatively or, or, or maybe formally called the Progressive PAC. Uh, Stephen Carter, Deirdre Mitchell McLean are going to join me and we're going to get into it. I'm curious to know why they need this PAC. Like, are they starting a new party? I'm pretty sure they're not. And if they're not starting a new party, what are they doing? Are they driving support to one of the existing parties? And if it's a progressive pack, it's probably not the one, so it's the other. And if you're looking to drive people to the NDP, is that an indictment of the NDP's campaign capabilities? As you can see, I'm all fired up and ready to go with the questions for two real talkers, both of them podcasters, Carter and Mitchell McLean, and I'm looking forward to that. Plus, of course, Trash Talk. We had to sift through a whole bunch. It seems like a lot of you have a lot you need to get off your chest. There's a great one on the royal family. Of course, we're talking about provincial politics as well and, and some of the stuff that has nothing to do with politics at all. As a matter of fact, Verna wrote in to wrap my knuckles for the language I've been using. She's really not going to like trash talk, but she's going to be leading us off. That's coming up before we wrap. We're kicking off today's show with some tough subject matter. There was a story out of Lethbridge, Alberta that, that, well, I'm going to be honest with you. It made me furious and it broke my heart at the same time. And I want to let you know, this audience, that we're going to be talking now about sexual violence and sexual assault. And I know it's very difficult subject matter for some members of this audience and members of the general public. It's also incredibly important that we do talk about it, that we understand when advocates like we're about to meet here on the show in studio talk about Alberta being at a point of crisis. What do they mean? And what does that look like? Here's the story. Charges have been laid against Lethbridge parents in the brutal assault of a six-week-old baby. That little girl's in hospital in critical condition while her parents are behind bars. The father of this six-week-old infant has been charged with her assault, her sexual assault, and her mother has been charged in connection. Mary Jane James is the CEO of the Sexual Assault Center of Edmonton, known as Sace, Neil Campbell is a sexual abuse survivor, and he's here to courageously tell his story this morning. I just felt emotion well up <laughs> as I welcome you to the show, Neil, and I'm so happy that you're here. I know that your story is going to move this audience and compel us to take action and show support in areas where we can. Mary Jane, when you hear a story like that, I know you and your counselors and your team, you put on a brave face every day. Uh, to do what we can in circumstances like this. But how do you process something like the story out of Lethbridge? Well, I would define it as indescribable. I, I still really haven't processed it. I, I can't, I simply cannot imagine how someone, particularly the parent, 
could do that to a baby, a baby, a six-week-old baby. How does that even happen? How do we, as a society, get our head around that? How do we reconcile that people who could be our next-door neighbors, our friends, our relatives, our family members, our colleagues are causing such harm to to others? It's It's... I, I don't even know what to say. A spokesperson with the Lethbridge Police Service told reporters, and I'm citing a CTV report right now, that if the Lethbridge Police Service had not been tipped off, they may have never known about this. Staff Sergeant Pete Christos said it was somebody that had the courage to come forward and tell police that this was happening. Is this stuff happening more than we realize? Oh, my goodness. Absolutely. You know, we only know a very small fraction of what is going on in the world vis-a-vis uh, sexual violence, sexual assault, sexual abuse, because so little, little of it ever gets reported. So few people ever come forward to get the help they need or to tell their story to anyone. So what we see is what makes the newspapers, what, what makes the media. The rest is hidden. And people go on, perhaps living their whole life without telling anyone, just bottling their pain, living with their pain, but most often medicating themselves mm. in some way uh, through, you know, alcohol, drugs, you know, whatever, whatever their choice is. And people often say, what is, you know, what is wrong with that person? You know, he's homeless, he's, he's you know, he's angry, he's drunk half the time. Well, we should be asking ourselves, what happened to that person? Untreated childhood trauma of the worst degree would be sexual abuse or, or you know, violence, uh, is, is, is intersecting every single other social issue we have. Mm. So there's statistics were out about six or seven months ago about the, uh, the number of houseless or unhoused youth on our streets. And many of those, in fact, up in the 80% are saying they were abused at home and they were escaping an environment that was much more violent than the one they're living on the streets. So, you know, think about that. These people don't decide to be unhoused. Yeah. Childhood trauma, we have to, we have to connect those dots. They're, they're there, they're right in front of us, and we need to start thinking about it, not band-aiding every type of social issue that's out there, really digging deep, going upstream, as they say, and figuring it out. Band-aids are never, ever, ever going to work. Neil, you were nine years old when your life changed? Yes, I was nine years old when I was sexually assaulted by my friend's brother. That happened over the span of a year, uh, and then it stopped. I did tell my parents about it, and thankfully they did call the police uh, at that time, but uh, that we're talking back in the 80s, and they recommended that I don't press charges. So it would save me from being teased by the other kids, um, you know, judgment from parents, etc. So the message I took was that you don't talk about it, you bury it. And as Mary Jane said, that started my path of addiction and depression, suicidal thoughts, suicide attempts. So um, yeah, as for, for people to come forward and talk about it is extremely difficult. It took me till 2016, I believe, to actually reach out for help from a qualified organization, which was SACE. I, I did see family doctors. I tried other options, but they didn't work because they didn't know how to uh, approach me and, and treat me and, and welcome me in with, you know, the understanding of what it's really like to go through sexual abuse. It's not something that's easily explained to the everyday person. So it's hard for people to fathom that, 
you know, well, you can get over it. Just go see the doctor. You know, here's a antidepressant. You'll be fine. You know, take mm. it easy. It's, it's a life sentence. It really is. So, um, for those out there that haven't experienced it, they just don't understand how difficult day-to-day life is. And I'm one of the very, very lucky ones that's still here. Is it possible to put into words why day-to-day life is so difficult or how day-to-day life is so difficult? How, how did it manifest itself in your day-to-day routine through your teenage years? I mean, you know, you were, you, you were a pre-pubescent. You were a young boy. You were nine years old. Yeah. You, know, you went through puberty, you went through your teenage years, your young adult years, your adult years. Uh, how, how did it impact you if you can find the words? Well, I've said it before. After I was abused, you know, really the nine-year-old uh, boy died. There was no more Neil Campbell. So my life was about survival every day. I was afraid. I didn't want anybody to find out. So I put on the mask that we, a lot of survivors do. And I was a little guy, so I couldn't, couldn't be tough. So I thought, you know, I'll use my humor to uh, just kind of deflect my fear and I was always the class clown and because I just wanted to keep people occupied with other things rather than actually maybe finding out what was going on with me and then unfortunately probably around 12 or 13 I started drinking and that's that's where things got really bad it's obviously not the best way to deal with things and uh, that was my coping mechanism Hmm. Is that a story that you hear often, Mary Jane? Like, is, I mean, I, 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 I want to assume that that's not the police protocol these days, but, but was there kind of a culture of sweeping it under the rug? That's what it, is, is that a fair assessment of, yeah, of that's what, what it was felt done like. in your yeah, What it felt, it felt like, yeah. like to you anyway, yeah. right? Yeah. Oh, most definitely. I mean, people say, you know, I don't know what, what's going on in the world today. There's so much sexual abuse and sexual violence, and that did not happen when I was in school. Oh, oh yes, it did. It's been happening forever, and it was swept under the carpet, and there was shame, and there was blame, and there was stigma, and there was fear, and there was, you know, you'll be fine. You'll be fine. The good old 50s and 60s parenting. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you'll be fine. And and there was also disbelief. I mean, I witnessed my best friend's uh, father beat the living hell out of her uh, in her bedroom at night. And I went home and told my mom the next day, what happened over there? And and she said, oh, Mary Jane, don't be so silly. That didn't happen. You just not talk about things that go on in other people's houses. Yeah, This is what happens. This is what happens. And finally, and I think it, it sort of might maybe started to spe- uh, peak when Tarana Burke and the Me Too movement started and this so- social media worldwide Me Too movement started where everyone's like, I, that happened to me too. And then I think that sort of maybe gave people the courage to think, okay, I'm not alone. Maybe I'm not alone. Maybe there are others out there. So we started to see a, a, you know, a, a spike in people reaching out for help. And then we had our own campaign, of course, I Believe You in Alberta. But I don't know if you're aware of this, Ryan, but in, in 2020, uh, the Alberta Association of Sexual Assault Services, is, which is the umbrella under organization over which you know, SACE is governed and the other 14 centers across the province, we did a prevalence study. And out of that prevalence study, we hired a, a, an organization to do that for us. And out of that prevalence study, it was determined that 43% of Albertans had reported at that time that they had been sexually violated. 43%. Almost one half of the population. And then they broke it down further uh, to being one out of every two girls or women, and one out of every two boys and men 
were sexually assaulted. And that was in 2020. So if you think about that and the population at that time, it was about 1.8, 1.9 million people. This is not a problem that just, you know, impacts a few folks here and there in certain demographics in certain situations. This this goes across every boundary possible. And we all, you know, the, the problem is we, we all know someone. Even if we don't know we do, we do. It's that prevalent. You cannot have one in two girls and women and one in four boys and men and not know that. The statistic, it's statistically almost impossible. So, you know, we see the worst of the worst. We often see them when they're at their, you know, at the very bottom barrel of, of yeah. their existence. And we pick up pieces that have been so broken, you, you'd think it would never be reparable. But hope is there and healing is there if they get the services that they need. And it's not this, you know, one and done counseling or one and done pill. It's a deep dive trauma therapy that is, you know, a highly skilled modality. It, it is it is life-changing. I mean, Neil can attest to that. He he came to SACE, and, uh, and I'll let him tell his own story on that. But um, he's certainly not the only one. We receive, you know, hundreds and hundreds of emails and letters and cards saying, you literally saved my life. Mm. Can we talk about that part of your experience? Absolutely. Absolutely. When you started to dig in? And, and, and <laughs> rip off band-aids and, and get serious like what was what was the point you you, you referenced uh, attempts that you made on your life yeah. uh, what was the point in 2016 when you're a grown man and, and you go I, I need to start talking about this I was back in the dark place again that's what I call it the depression the dark place and uh, at that point in my life uh, I have two daughters uh, I was married I'm still married and um, I've said it before I didn't want to leave them without a father and I didn't want to leave my wife without a husband so um, I was referred to SACE by a psychiatrist and, uh, it was terrifying when I walked in because, well, I'm a male number one. So when I walked in, there was mostly females and I, and I literally almost just turned around. I'm like, yeah. they're probably looking at me like I'm the bad guy oh, and I sure. shouldn't be here. Like that's the male stigma. Right. So I don't know what forced me to stay there, but I did. And, uh, I was able to get in, uh, with some one-on-one -on -one therapy, uh, with, uh, with a great counselor, Katie. Uh, we started there and eventually ended up in a men's group with some other male survivors, which uh, I, I'll tell you, Ryan, walking into that room, because as MJ said, is that you feel alone as a, as a survivor. You, you truly do. And especially as a male, right? Because we don't go out for beer and wings and say, hey, man, Oilers scored, by the way, I got sexually abused when I was nine. It just doesn't happen. That's right. right? It does not happen. And I've been privy to conversations where it has come up and people get very, and, and not everybody, but a lot of people get really, really uncomfortable. Yeah. And also probably because some people are holding on to their own stories, yeah. right? Yeah. So, so you're in this group. And all of a sudden, what? How are you starting to feel? Like, are you feeling like the elephant isn't not sitting on your chest anymore? <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's like when I opened that door, it was almost like this. Oh, yeah. Wow, man, I'm not alone because I'd never met anybody else that had been sexually abused, especially a male. The only people that I knew as males that were sexually abused were Sh um, Sheldon Kennedy and Theron Fleury. Yeah. And that's it. And all of a sudden, there's four or five other guys in this room, and we're all looking at each other like. Oh wow! This is this is real. This is happening. It's it, for me. It was just a massive decompression of wow. I'm not alone. I'm not crazy. There are other people that have gone through shared experiences like me. So 
yeah, to put it into words, I probably couldn't, I don't know if there is a word for it, Ryan, to be honest with you. It was just a massive weight and the loneliness and the, I guess there was a, a form of a feeling of safety, mm. right? Because to your point, a lot of people don't want to talk about it for numerous reasons. I, I believe a lot of people want to help. They just don't know how, like, how do you have that conversation? So to be able to sit into a room with people, it's all, and I, I don't make to want to make light of it, but it's almost like you're a gang right? Mm-hmm. We're, we're a gang now. We're together. We, we're, we got each other's backs, right? Absolutely. You know where I've been. I know where you've been. Various different experiences, but at the end of the day, officially, really, it's the same thing, right? Yeah. We're all going through the same thing on some level. So it, I always say that it's like, there's this instant connection when you meet another survivor, because there's a trust that nobody else can give you. Is it, Almost unusual, though. I don't want to find the negative and a positive, but is it almost unusual that Neil was able to secure counseling services? Because everything that I'm reading um, and, 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 you know, SACE is among the organizations and, and advocacy groups that are sounding the alarm right now. They're using the word crisis. And I know you don't invoke that word lightly. No, I don't. And nor did I want to take this story public. But we've been in negotiations with the government of Alberta for well over eight or nine months. We had a a professional MNP do a statistical analysis on our outputs and our outcomes and our stats, and we presented what I thought was a very comprehensive case to the the government to uh, increase our funding uh, by $14 million, which is less than a million, as I, as I said earlier, uh, across the province of 15 centers. They currently fund us for 17 million, and we're very grateful for that. But we have a 14-month wait list. Every single day, our intake workers do intakes, new intakes for 8 to 10 to 12, 15 people a day. Every day? Every day. And our, we have a clinical team of 14 registered psychologists and registered so- social workers, and um, they see five clients a day, every day. So our place, and, it's, it's, and we're doing a little bit virtual now since COVID, but a lot of people still want to come into the office, and we provide these services for all genders from the, ages, from the age of three. So when you walk into our office, as lovely as we've tried to make it seem and as safe and as warm and as embracing, and you see a little three-year-old sitting there swinging their feet on the chair, there's only one reason they're there. Mm. And it makes your heart break in a million pieces, a million. And I've you know, I I didn't plan to go into this area of my life. this 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 fell into me because I also had a family member who was who was severely sexually assaulted by a number of boys when she was seventeen, mm-hmm. and um, she I, I've picked her up off the floor many many times. Um, she's thirty five now. She's alive, but that's pretty much all you could say. Mm-hmm. These these things are not you know they're not we cannot underestimate the damage and the loss of human dignity that this type of violence has on others. And the problem is, is we don't want to talk about it. We often try to find ways to blame the person. Well, they were drinking, or they wore something really low cut, or they walked alone through their car. What did they think was going to happen? When you, it's really victim blaming and shaming is so real. And as a result of that, 
we don't hold the perpetrators accountable. We just simply don't on a level that we should be. And you've seen the sentences that come down that are just so They're out a of joke, touch. They They're really a joke. are. You're like, what in the heck did you hear in that courtroom? Because I've I've sat in those courtrooms, and you're going to deliver a sentence like that. That's just insane. It's uh, it's it's the one area of my life. Charles Adler and I joke. There's nothing funny about this, obviously, but Charles Adler and I joke is like that's where we both meet each other on the right wing of the political spectrum. <laughs> is my thoughts on uh, justice in sexual assault cases, uh, and I'm not even trying to make light of it. I'm, I'm deadly serious. I had a, an experience just last week. Um, I had an opportunity to visit a place uh, where counseling happens for young kids, mm-hmm. and. Um, a friend of mine, Jason Carter, has painted a beautiful mural in there for these kids. And I'm going to have a hard time saying it right now, but when I was in that room, it was washing over me what these walls have heard. And it feels like a sacred space, but it was so painful to be in there too, to think of these little ones that, that haven't had a chance. And I think of, you know, you, Neil, you're nine years old when this happens. I think of this little girl in Lethbridge. She's six weeks old. I tweeted about it. I said, you know, may, after I said, may her parents rot in hell, but I, but I said, may she receive the supports that she will need for the rest of her life. She's been on the planet for six weeks. And here we are. Let me ask you a positive angle on this. I mean, your story, most people hear this on the podcast, but people on YouTube can see you're just this beautiful human, Neil. (laughs) You've got this sense of calm. I mean, I just met you, I guess, about an hour ago, and you've got this beautiful handshake, and you you sort of exude this confidence. What was it that, If and I I keep saying this to you, if you can find the words, because I would imagine a lot of it is like how you feel or a lot of it's what's going on between your ears but but what was it that the the counseling and the support and your gang of survivors (laughs) what did that change within you that gives you this i mean you just sort of exude health right now (laughs) mental health and wellness do you feel it uh well you know that's this is a lot of work it's been a lot of years and and there's i'm not gonna lie there's good days and there's bad days but what sace gave me were tools to to manage my days when I was triggered or um, the one thing that I struggled with a lot was just negative thoughts and and no self-value yeah like I could walk like people that know me probably say the same thing I never would have thought it was you because I never saw that because I was so good with my mask right Mm. so um, Sace allowed me to actually become Neil Campbell the Mm. the person that died nine years ago was kind of reborn in in a way like I never knew who I truly was because I was always scared and always running and always fearful and they allowed me to to find a calm and where I could just take a deep breath and go okay let's figure out who you are let's figure out what you want to do let's figure out how you feel most importantly because I've always been a very uh, emotional and honest person but I always pushed that down because I thought as a male I shouldn't do that so um, they allowed me to actually blossom into Mm. who I should be and but it is every day, Ryan. It, it is like MJ. It's, it's and you said yourself. Like we need probably counseling for the remainder of our lives, and it's off and on again, right? And I'll be good for six months, and then all of a sudden there'll be something I don't even maybe know what it is, and all of a sudden I'll just go back down. But they've worked with me to help me recognize what those situations or triggers are, right? So when I go, okay, take a deep breath. It's all good. Don't panic, man. You got this. It's uh-huh. all good, right? And they almost put this little nine-year-old boy on my shoulder patting me saying hey buddy we got this we'll do this together so um that was something that just it that's that's hard for me to say um because as i said earlier um 
in, he was dead for a long time mm. and, um, he's been reborn and, uh, I, I can't thank Sace enough for that. And, and I truly wish that, um, everybody had the opportunity to get to Sace and, and get the help that they deserve because nobody has ever been wanted to be sexually abused. And, um, to be here with you sitting is, is a gift that, um, that lady over there in her organization gave me. So, so you're a little bit annoyed at the government's $600 checks for everybody. Hey, Mary Jane, can, well, we, can we cut right to the politics? Start there. Uh, yeah, I'm a little annoyed. I, I, um, I thought they treated us um, really with uh, not a lot of understanding or respect for the work that we do and the crisis that we're facing. And uh, these people that are on our wait list and have been on there waiting 14 months to get the help that they need, they're not faceless, nameless people. They're, they're, they're our neighbors, our friends, our family members, and they're being ignored. Well, and for a lot of them, Mary Jane, like making it through to the next day oftentimes is like climbing a mountain, right? Many of them don't. Many of them become what we see on the street downtown on Jasper Avenue. That's where many of them end up. Untreated trauma, childhood trauma is, is a vicious, vicious cycle of, uh, you know, self-loathing, self, self-loathing and hatred and finding ways to numb the pain. I, I've just dropped in on our live chat here. People are watching on YouTube, and, and uh, some people are sharing their personal experiences, which I just value so much. Uh, Lou Jobs, is, Lou is on the show. He sat in the chair. You're sitting in, Neil, I guess, probably about a month ago. This guy's uh, a relatively new friend of mine. Um, his journey has been unbelievable. He's, he's, he's reconnecting with his indigenous culture. He's learning language as a grown man. He's learning to carve. You can see his carving over there right by our printer. Uh, beautiful Anukshuk and a, and a polar bear. I mean, it's just on. Anyway, the, the, Lou Beautiful. came on. He came in to talk about what had what had taken him into a life of, of homelessness and being unhoused, and how he got out. And I mean, people are sharing these stories; are amazing. Lou says one of the hardest realities um, is not being believed after reporting it. That's his experience, or at least that's the point that he's making. Tony says, um, you know, she's well. I, I want to first of all, Tracy is sharing. Sounds like Tracy works in counseling, and, and Tony's just sharing her admiration about that. Tracy says, trauma in my experience takes many years of hard work. She says, fortunately, all my clients had access to addictions treatment and a mental health therapist. She goes on to say, on, you know, on the one hand, I love or I loved helping transform people's lives. But when I had my daughter, it was just too hard to balance the danger that the pimps and gangs presented. We had many threats on the family's well-being, said I also cried many times having to send people's pets to shelters when individuals and families were fleeing violence. She says, in the past, I've been held at gunpoint. I've been burned with a lighter. I was almost stabbed. Mm. All of these aggressors were just desperate. Uh, I, I understood. She says the fear uh, was replaced by sadness. Can we talk about the counselors? Can we talk about the heavy lifting that they do? Uh, at the end of the day, when they're heading home in those quiet moments, when they're walking their dogs, what they're dealing with? Well, vicarious trauma is something that's you know, it runs rampant through our whole office, even those of us who aren't in the one-on-one -on -one counseling sessions. We know what's happening. We've sat in courtrooms, we've heard their stories, we've seen their pain. And to say this, and I'm, I'm not telling any secrets out of school here, but our entire clinical team has their own psychologists. Great. That they see. Yeah. Because the, 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 the stories that they hear and the pain that they're holding is is almost too much. And you can say, at, you know, at five o'clock, I'm leaving and I'm leaving all this behind. 
But you can't leave the vision of a six-week-old baby in a crib hanging on for life. You don't, you don't get to just erase that from your memory. No. That is something, and we see, I'm sorry to say it, and I'm sorry to be so, you know, em- emphatic about what, I, what I'm pleading for our, our city, our province, and our government to stand up and recognize that this is an issue, it's not going away, and the simple answer, Ryan, is pay it now or pay it later. And that's the truth. And there's some some short-sightedness, there's some, you know, bigger fish to fry, I guess, uh, in a three or three and a half year term. Uh, but this problem is going to end up and does cost us in the billions of dollars in other social programs if it's left untreated. Uh, MA in our chat says working uh, in the ER at the Children's Hospital was eye-opening, says this is a horrible problem and uh, it affects staff immensely. Uh, goes on to say, until as a society, we demand that more funding be put into the care of each other. Nothing's going to change. That from MA. Well said, MA. Yeah. Uh, Justin says the company I work for has significant benefits for mental health and I keep telling myself to use them, says Justin. But then says, I do also feel like I'd be taking resources away from people who need it after hearing all of this. I mean, what a conundrum. Let's just get more counselors. Let's get more funding. It's, it, I don't mean to suggest that an issue will just be solved with money. You can't just throw money at a problem and solve it, but it can go a long way, right? Your team did a, a great job of providing us with some statistics. You cited some of them earlier, but let me give people a perspective check as well. Uh, you, you mentioned uh, 43% or 1.8 million Albertans, it's estimated, have experienced sexual violence in their lifetime. Um, only 6% According to the 2019 General Social Survey, 6% of survivors reported their assault to police. In other words, when sexual assault occurs, 94% of offenders will not be held responsible. Whatever happened to your neighbor's brother, by the way? Don't know. I never charged him. Um, To be honest, Ryan, I didn't want to go through the trauma again and relive it. And it goes back to our conversation we had earlier. From what I saw over the years of sentences handed handed out to these, these animals... Um, why would I put myself through that for them to get six months and, and a slap on the wrist? I, I had, at that point, too much self-respect for my myself to go through that again. While the overall rate of violent crime in Canada has decreased over the past 15 years, the rate of sexual assault has not. In fact, police reported sexual assault increased by 18%. Very true. And to one of your listeners' um, comments about we as a society have a part to play, we as a society do have a very big part to play and it starts with listening and supporting and believing survivors no one makes up these stories ryan okay sure you're going to pull a stat somewhere it said someone lied and some okay that happens but for the very 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 biggest majority people don't tell this story to get attention they don't tell this story for revenge something horrible happened to them so we would rather as a society to date, and it's changing slightly, but it's way far away from being where it should be, finding a reason to excuse the behavior of the perpetrator. In fact, I sat in a courtroom not too long ago where the victim was blamed for her alcohol consumption and how did she know and, you know, how would she remember? And yet when it came to the, the perpetrator, the alleged perpetrator, they used the alcohol as a reason for his behavior. Mm. 
that he was drinking and it was so out of character? Well, no, you can't have it both ways. So what we can do, what we can do is stop putting shame and blame on the survivor, give them the supports they need. That may be reporting to the police, although I know some people have not had very good experiences going down that road. It's a very individual choice. It's a very individual journey. But we're here, and all of the sexual assault centers across our province and across our country are living, breathing this every day. And we are here for you, regardless of where you are in your journey please reach out for help. We will be there. We've got your back, as Neil said. I want to let people know that they can uh, find resources or get this journey started uh, on the website, the Sexual Assault Center of Edmonton. That's where Mary Jane is the CEO. It's sace.ca. That's S-A-C-E dot C-A. Um, I know that the two of you have a place to go, and, and I don't want to take this in a completely different direction. But but while I have you here, there's, there's an interesting and astute point. It's a point that demands to be discussed, I think, from Erica. Uh, who says punishment is nuanced. I want to ask you about this first. Punishment is nuanced, she says. For example, what do we do with offenders uh, of horrific assaults who were themselves victims of lifelong sexual abuse? Let's say at a residential school, as an example. You know, do we dole out lighter sentences because of context? That's an interesting question, isn't it? It's a tough one, um, but it goes back to what MGA said, and, and we, we can't lie to ourselves. We know this isn't going away. But if we can get to the people that have been sexually abused earlier on in life, I believe the chances of them repeating the behavior are going to decrease. And, you know, I lived my life, you know, wondering, am I going to grow up to be a pedophile? Right. I did. And that was one of the scariest moments of my life. I was talking to my wife and we were thinking about having kids and I'm like, what if I turn into this monster? Wow. Right. And, you know, that's a horrible thing to have to go through. So. It really, at the end of the day, you know what, I think you, you committed the crime. We can have some compassion for that, that that's what you grew up in. But you, my opinion is that you've still committed it. But when you're incarcerated, you know what, let's give that person some counseling. Let's give them some treatment. Let's give them a little bit of empathy because they're just continuing on with the pattern of behavior that, once again, they didn't ask for. You want to give us a closing thought, Mary Jane? I completely agree. It's a wraparound. If those, um, and we know the stats are very real. Eric is right. Often victims of childhood sexual abuse turn out to be violent on some level towards others. So if those boys and girls would have got the help that they needed when they needed it as children, maybe they wouldn't, as Neil, Neil said, you know, reoffend. But SACE is recognizing that you know, hurt people, hurt people. Mm. So we're actually considering getting an arm to our agency, if we ever get any money to do so, um, to to provide services for offenders. Because to Erica's point, there are very few and there are none that are without fee. They, it's very costly to go to a psychologist today. And uh, so, you know, if you have to feed your children or go to a psychologist, what are you going to do? Right. So... Well, I hope that this interview and your courage in talking about this lights the fires where they need to be lit. Uh, and in the meantime, people can certainly, if you feel compelled to show your support for the Sexual Assault Center of Evidence for SACE and associated resources, uh, you can check them out online at sace.ca. There is also the support and information line, and you can call that right now at 780-423-4121. We'll put that information in the show notes on the podcast and on our YouTube episode. Uh, we've been talking to Neil Campbell and Mary Jane James, um, an old friend of mine and a new friend of mine. And I'm so grateful for both of you being here and for the advocacy and the work that you're doing. Thank you so much for this. 
Thank, Thank you, you, Ryan. It's an incredible pleasure to be on your show. Mm. And a huge shout out to this audience that shows up for tough conversations. I know for some people, the, the tragedy is, the sad thing is, and I understand it, some people will not listen to this because it's so difficult for them to listen to this. Other people uh, in different circumstances, and by the way, that's okay. That's not a judgment at all. Um, I think other people are going to be impacted by what you brought to the table today. And I would suspect that maybe you changed somebody's life this morning. So I appreciate it. Thanks, Ryan. Sace.ca. This conversation is presented by sponsors who show up for Real Talk every week. That includes Canada's Open University. That's Athabasca University. You can check them out online right now at AthabascaU.ca. If 2023 is going to mark a year of change for you, maybe a new career, maybe you're going to dig into something that's really interesting you, but you don't know a lot about, I don't know, artificial intelligence, maybe you can go right now to AthabascaU.ca. No better time to take that degree or maybe even a master's program. You know, they've got more than 35 online master's and doctorate programs. And the best part about it, the only commute is to your device. Athabasca University is designed to fit your life for ambitious people everywhere looking for more flexible approaches to higher education. Hey, at Friesen Brothers, coming up February 25th, I know it's about a month away, circle your calendar. They present the future of Alberta food. February 25th, you can join them for a night of deliciousness at Nate's Ernest's Restaurant right here in our home city of Edmonton. It's an artisan cuisine challenge that will showcase up-and-coming culinary professionals. You can follow six different teams that are competing head-to-head, taste 24 different unique dishes, and you even get to vote for your favorite. Get inspired with Friesen Brothers on February 25th with The Future of Food. You can get your tickets. This event will sell out. You can find them online at Friesen.com. Hey, a shout out to everybody that's taken their utility business over to Park Power over the last year or so. A special shout out to Michael, a real talker who sent us a note. He said, remind me what the new promo code is. He was hanging out with his buddies. He goes, they're all signing up for Park Power as we speak. Music to our ears, Michael. And I suspect that his buddies are pretty happy with him as well because, well, he just saved them up to $150 in their first month. The bundling incentive that Real Talkers receive is at parkpower.ca. You bring your electricity over, natural gas, internet. For every one of those services, they're going to knock 50 bucks off your first bill with the promo code REALTALK23. That's realtalk Two three. It's a bundling incentive only at parkpower.ca. And every Friday, we are so proud to showcase urban timber reclaimed wood. Of course, our table here in studio is designed, built, delivered by the team at Urban Timber. They'd love to do the same for you. Whether it's a dining room table that'll host those special family gatherings, maybe it's a boardroom table at your place of work, You can check them out online at urbantimber.ca or go visit them at their brand new location, their showroom in West Edmonton. They've got a boxcar collection you just have to see. These are literally, in some circumstances, 200-year-old planks of wood. Rail cars that traveled across the country for decades, now cleaned and reinvented 
to side tables, end tables. They do custom hardwood flooring, wood paneling on walls, shelving. If you can dream it, they can build it at Urban Timber. Well, this week's Real Talk Roundtable presented by Urban Timber is going to ask a very direct question. And that is, can progressives win in Alberta? There's an election coming in May. And of course, it's being widely described and understood as a two-horse race. It'll be the incumbent United Conservative Party, led by relatively newly minted Premier Danielle Smith, going head-to-head against Alberta's NDP, led by, of course, former Premier Rachel Notley. So if it's a two-horse race, the question is, if you occupy that so-called mushy middle, you're not a left-winger, you're not a right-winger, where are you going to vote? And what's this dynamic going to look like? This week's Real Talk Roundtable panelists are experts in reading the political pulse of this province. Both of them co-host very successful podcasts as well. Deirdre Mitchell-McLean is a political commentator and host of the Women of A.B. Polly. She's worked on municipal and provincial campaigns, and she's a former board member of the Alberta Party. Stephen Carter is one of the stars of the widely listened to strategist podcast, and he's been the straw that has stirred the drink, showing up with his own coffee mug today. I love it. The strategist swag. There you have it. Carter, of course, has quarterbacked many successful election campaigns in different levels of government in different provinces as well. It's nice to see the both of you here. Carter, congratulations on finally getting a strategist branded coffee mug. Yeah, well, we had to, uh, as you know, pay thousands of dollars for the rights to it because Chester had taken the rights. Uh, yes. But we're only in the hole a couple grand. Um, we are coming out of it uh, slowly. But, uh, you know, now that we've got our Patreon, you know, you are really the example of a paid podcaster. So we are just basically stealing each one of your ideas one by one. Yeah, uh, I, so I mean, thank I, you. I, well, I, I would like to congratulate and recognize you for taking about uh, 36 seconds to plug your merch, to plug your Patreon, to plug your website. You just got it all out of the way, right out of the gates. Very nicely done. Wait, wait till I work in Flair Airlines. You're going to be super impressed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry. How long until you guys get sued by Flair Airlines? Anyway, it seems like <laughs> I, I got to be honest. The fact that it hasn't happened yet is just it just encourages us to keep going. Yeah, uh, at least a cease and desist letter, right? Like you'd expect something. You'd expect something. Yeah, you're the we, yeah. we we have real sponsors that give us real money, and you have uh, sponsors that are real companies, but they're fake sponsors that do not give you. Any any money well i didn't know that getting money was the objective i'll be honest Corey didn't tell us that part uh instead it was just how do we become more like ryan jesperson yes okay so well, zane zane's actually off the podcast right now lowering his voice and making it more raspy we've got him smoking 16 packs of cigarettes a day it's really quite something i was gonna say so johnny's actually back, rolling uh yeah johnny's rolling our yeah. cigarettes right now for after the show yeah, so it's, it's gonna be great Ryan. it's, it's gonna, gonna be great. great it's gonna be really yeah. good deirdre do you have uh do you have women of ab poly uh, branded merch I don't, and uh, thanks for bringing it up, Ryan. Yeah. Well, well, <laughs> what, what are you waiting for? What's your problem? Yeah. Apparently, I, I, I didn't want to go into debt too grand, like the strategist. Yeah, like the strategist. <laughs> that's right. They're going to be fighting out of this for months. <laughs> Uh, hey, listen, I, I want to talk to you about this. You, the two of you have started a new political action committee, or like, not just the two of you, but there's this new yeah. pack, and I want to talk about that, but I also just want to talk politics. If we were all having beers right now, we'd be talking politics, and I'd probably lead yeah. with like, so what the hell is going on with the premier, the prosecutors, and the CBC? 
Well, and, and you, did, is there anything that was more vital to what the stakes are than your previous guests? Like, is there anything more? Like, we've had more amputations in Alberta than we've ever had from frostbite because the UCP don't care about the homeless people who are who are on the on the streets. They don't care about them unless you choose to hit your bottom and get into rehab. They don't even care about you. And and the same time, you know, we aren't treating domestic violence the way it needs to be treated. We're not we're not doing anything that needs to actually be done. And I don't care if you're your progressive is as far as the NDP or, or as far as my progressive, which was progressive conservatism. There has to be some progressive put back into this government, don't you think, Ryan? I mean, especially after that last segment. Yeah, you, do you guys want to know the, the truth of something? I'm going to tell you, we're just going to get, this is a peek behind the curtain, so i got to tell Johnny something, and we're doing this show live, so there's nothing we do. Um, our previous two guests are locked in the stairwell, Johnny. Can you go, can you go help them out? So we're, here we are. Yeah, I'm getting a text right now as we're talking. I thought that might be fun for the audience to Jesus. hear. That our previous, Talk about the, adding to trauma, Brian. <laughs> like, yeah, oh, yeah. Just trauma yeah, so. on trauma. Ah. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, so, uh, but, but in all seriousness, Deirdre, what what are you making yeah. of this? And and yeah, we'll talk about this government. And I do want to talk about the progressive element. And we'll get you guys to to, to describe what does that mean? What it, what even is a progressive? And 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 is there even such thing as a progressive conservative? And and we can get into that. But I but I but I want to seriously talk about this story about the premier allegedly. So so here's the deal. Here's the facts, right? And and, and people are starting to throw words around like litigious and defamatory, and everybody's treading lightly and treading carefully and you know one of the cool things carter is when you when you get to be a big shot with lots of sponsors we can also carry uh you know insurance and so we can pretty much oh. run our mouths yeah it's a it's a <laughs> it's a luxury that real talk has that some others yeah. don't but deirdre what are you making of this story danielle smith in in december tells ezra levant that she has reached out to prosecutors and then walks that back and then it was like well staff maybe did and then that got walked back and then the cbc obviously has a I'm assuming, I'm assuming a, they must have. I sure hope they do if they reported it. And these are not cub reported. These are veteran reporters. You assume they have, a, as I've described it, a bulletproof source that's giving them the confidence to report this story that now the premier is calling baseless and defamatory. Uh, at the same time, you have a parallel story running let's not let's not get people thinking that this is all one story there's a parallel story running that the premier's been pressuring the attorney general the justice minister tyler shandro who by the way is also currently under investigation for something else <laughs> in his previous role as the health minister who do you believe as our headline read yesterday on the show who's lying deirdre well i mean if you if you just base it on uh you know history then uh, then it's it's got to be daniel smith and the ucp but like i i was i was thinking about this the other day and the cdc just had a settlement out of I believe it was winnipeg uh but i'm not positive either either saskatchewan or manitoba where uh, a, a reporter had run with some sources but didn't actually look into enough sources so they just had a settlement against them and this is recent. So this is within the last uh, month, I'm going to say. I have no, I have no concept of time lately. So uh, within the last month, this happened. That has to make them tighten up their, uh, their editorial process, you know, what they're going to print, things like that. So I'm also looking at the fact that they, they lawyered up to print these stories. They absolutely did. They went to their sources. They have to have it. They have to have it. Now, 
the fact that Daniel Smith and company did a two-day uh, email scan doesn't tell me that they're actually serious about doing the investigation. Although Alberta prosecutors at arm's length say that they didn't turn anything up either, though we also acknowledge that emails prior to December 22nd were all deleted. Carter, you've been the <laughs> chief of staff to a premier. Uh, what did you make of the statement from Danielle Smith that we saw just a couple of days ago? We talked about it yesterday. I was not impressed. Um, I mean, it was a very cursory view of, of whether or not there are any emails or communications between the premier's office and the prosecutor's office. It's very simple uh, to cover your tracks on that. Government is well trained at covering your tracks thanks to the Freedom of Information and Protection of Privacy Acts. Um, so because of those types of things, it's it's very simple uh, to make sure that you're covered, make sure that you're not going to have your be found out. Um, even though I do think that there's evidence that, that uh, this actually occurred because the CBC reporters that are reporting this, uh, Elise and Megan, they, they, these are two of the best reporters at the CBC. I don't think in Alberta politics there's been a story that's been broken in the last six months that hasn't been broken by Elise. She's the one who's been carrying uh, most of the stories out of the provincial government. Uh, and I think that that she's the one who's got this information. So I don't trust the UCP on this. Um, and why would we? You know, Danielle Smith herself has said that she did it. Um, it becomes, you know, which of her three stories was the lie? Which of those three stories was the truth? What if all three of them were a lie? All it does is show a, a, a uh, reckless regard for uh, political norms. It, it shows a reckless regard for our justice system. It shows a reckless regard uh, for moving forward with the right type of ideas uh, for Albertans. It's just, uh, to me, it almost doesn't matter the truth or the non-truth of this particular situation. It is evident that she pressured Tyler Sandro. It is evident that she wanted these charges to go away. It is evident that she does not care for the process of law. That's period. That's it, period. Does anybody care about political norms anymore? I mean, not anybody, but does the general public care about yeah. political norms? Like if she's come in oh. and said she campaigned for the leadership of this party saying that she would do this type of thing. She came in and said that she would look at charges that pastors were facing. She would look at amnesty. She would attempt to influence. So she's just doing what she said she was going to do. Mm -hmm. yeah, you, yeah. You, you can't do that. Go ahead, Deirdre. <laughs> tell, tell them why you can't do yeah. that. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So yeah, okay. Why can't you do that? Uh, you can't do that because, because there are laws. I mean, Daniel Smith has a great interview about... Uh, the, the SNC-Lavalin affair when there were allegations of pressure being put on Jody Wilson-Raybould as the as the justice minister. Um, so, like, she, she did this fantastic interview where she says, this is inappropriate. This is not, uh, this is not acceptable from government. And then she turns around and does the same thing. Very likely, allegedly, I mean, this is this is actually why it came up during the SNC Lavalin uh, issue. It came up that that the justice minister and solicitor general need to be separated, so that the the leader of the government or the leader of the governing party and their staffers don't actually have access to the person who's in charge of overseeing the administration of justice and. I can't see how this makes it any different. Wow. The comparison to SNC, Lavalin and Trudeau are some people going to have to grapple with and wrestle with hypocrisy in their own political <laughs> convictions. 
No, no. Good news there, Ryan. No, uh, no, they don't. They yeah, yeah. They won't. They won't. No. Okay. And Deirdre, there is a there is a rule here on Real Talk. I'm not sure if you know about it or not, but if it, but we encourage animals to appear on screen, but when they do, they must be introduced. Who is this fabulous feline that's walking across the screen? So this is Kina. Uh, she's a rescue, and she doesn't do floors. Oh, so, okay. Yes. Well, she's so very she, beautiful. She, yes, yes. The orange and, and the black and those smoky eyes. Paper on... So now, now she's going to try and probably get my wreck things over here. Okay, so this is a two, two this is a two horse race, right? You see how I did that, Carter? I went from cats to horses. Uh, well done. Yeah, thank God you. You're a pro. Oh man, it's, oh it's all God. it's all mapped out. We're all just following a formula here. So in March, or in May rather, uh, Albertans are going to decide whether they're going to go with Danielle or Rachel. Like those are the choices, right? I mean, your little. Sl- your little slip there, your little slip of of March or April, uh, yeah. of March or May, yeah, um, is still an open question. They can go early. Uh, they do not have to wait until May the twenty eighth or May the thirtieth, whatever the date is. Um, so I, I'm preparing as though they're they're going to move it around and they're going to. Uh, that date is not fixed. If you look at the legislative schedule, uh, the legislative schedule happens fairly early. Uh, so think of it uh, that the election could start. Anytime in March. But what would be the benefit of this government going early? Freezing NDP money. This is the first, mm. because if we look at one thing, I mean, here it is. Money is the currency of politics, right? Um, the NDP and the UCP have been raising very similar amounts of money, too much money to spend during the writ period. So one of the solutions for the UCP might be to catch the NDP napping and lock five or six million dollars in the NDP's bank account. That is the, that is the equivalent of having the NDP raise five or six million dollars less than the UCP. So if you went early, because it's capped how much the party can spend during the writ period, you may lock money in the NDP bank account. And that would be uh, worth going early if you were if you were the UCP. Okay, so the two of you, uh, and, and Deirdre, maybe you can sort of lay this out for us. I just heard rumblings of this new pack. Uh, we've got this this political group chat, and uh, and and everyone says you guys hear that like Deirdre and Carter and all this. Everyone's well, some people are saying the old Alberta Party crew. Like, did you hear? There's this new pack, this progressive pack, and I went, well, obviously this is a real talk roundtable waiting to happen. Uh, we're hearing about packs a lot, uh, but the average citizen might not even recognize. And they hear about these groups like Take Back Alberta. And, and, and they're becoming more and more prominent and, and more and more powerful. Uh, that pack has, has essentially taken over the board of the United Conservatives. So so for those that don't necessarily know, Deirdre, can we do politics 101 for a quick second? Let us know what a political action committee is, what it does and why you and your group sees the need for something new on Alberta's political landscape. So the political action committees really came up uh, after Rachel Notley made the changes to the Election Act, then it became almost necessary to have more, or sorry, to have the ability to spend money to advertise on behalf of the political parties because money could no longer be coming in from things like uh, uh, unions, right? Unions. Deirdre, I think we're dropping your signal. So, Carter, why don't you take it from here? Well, I think that the TPA model, because the NDP changed a lot. Deirdre, we're we're, we're dropping you in and out. So I'll get you to solve that with Johnny and and Carter will take it just for now. Yeah, I think that what we're looking at is is with the changes in rules, money is 
uh, money flows now into politics differently. And, and uh, ideas can be funded through the TPAs. So the TPA or the PACs uh, are the ability to bring ideas into the electoral marketplace. And so that's what we're doing with this. We're bringing the ideas of progressivism into the political marketplace. You mentioned Take Back Alberta. Take Back Alberta is a political TPA that is not only working to change the, uh, to push people further to the right, which is what they did with Danielle Smith and, and her leadership. They pushed her to the right. They're also taking over the UCP, which is pushing the entire conservative movement further to the right. Well, our TPA, while we're not as big and we're not as capable of moving everything further to the to the progressive side, we're going to come in and try and make sure that the progressive points of view are heard and understood. And that becomes one of our key elements is making sure that uh, progressive ideas like spending money on social services, like trying to eliminate homelessness. Um, I believe that those ideas are less expensive. Uh, both in human costs as well as uh, financial costs. And I'd like them to be talked about during this election. So that's why we formed the Progressive uh, PAC. Uh, that's what we're going to do over the course of the of the election, is remind people that progressive ideas matter uh, and put pressure on both parties, frankly, to be talking about the ideas that, that uh, uh, the middle, the pragmatic middle uh, in Alberta actually wants to have uh, discussed. What are the solutions to some of these great problems? You know, when we saw uh, Rachel Notley walk away from the just transition, I don't think that anybody was happy with that. But she was given that opportunity because there wasn't a progressive voice saying, no, we have to recognize that oil and gas in this in this province is, a, is going down. Um, how do we protect those? There's 10,000 people in Calgary alone that have been left behind by the transition away from heavy oil. Um, they don't have jobs and they don't have the opportunity for jobs and they tend to be older and they tend to be really well educated. What We can't leave that type of uh, institutional capital on the sidelines. We've got to be able to go and get them and, and help them out. And whether you call it a just transition or something else, we need to be able to help the people in our community, uh, even if it pisses off Brett Wilson. Uh, everything pisses off Brett Wilson. But uh, I, I would say, yeah. b- by the way, just an update for those that are tuning in. We're going to try to get Deirdre back. Something happened with the Wi-Fi or whatever it is on, on her end. And we'll try to get her back. But Carter, it might just be you and me dancing for a little bit. Um, so, okay. so is this? I'll, I'll suck it up. I'll <laughs> yes. find a way. Yeah, it's, it's, it's like at, at, at a wedding. You yeah. and I are like the last two guys on the dance floor before they start sweeping up and stacking the chairs. Uh, but so is this just so you, you want to you're, you're kind of like a lobby, like your goal is to is to is to ask for or demand better on election platforms and from both parties or is this more just you saying the ucp is swinging too far to the right everybody's got to vote ndp because that's what some people are going to think on the surface right yeah i think that's very simplistic which which matches with uh you know uh, the lay person's understanding of politics sure um you don't just get to stand up and say vote ndp the ndp is doing that the NDP has way more money. They have the capability and understanding to move people to the NDP. What we're trying to do is get people in the middle that don't know. How do we pick? There's a group of people that David Coletto called the reluctant UCP voter. How do we get the reluctant UCP voter, the person who doesn't want to vote for Danielle Smith, because she, her ideas and ideals and the way she behaves disgust them? How do we get them to consider voting for the NDP? Because that's a far more interesting opportunity. And they don't necessarily need to be there forever. That's the other thing with this political TPA. I think the solution to politics lies more in the middle. Um, some would say that Rachel Notley's moving to the middle. That, you know, that's great. Um, but you know, the only way we can get leaders to move to the middle is to put pressure on them 
to actually move. What do you think is going to be the biggest election issue? Like if, if the Kenny win in 2019 was, was a referendum on the carbon tax, what's the number one issue? I think it's going to be a question of economic opportunity for individuals. I think that we're very selfish as voters and uh, this re- resurgence in, in, uh, in our economy is so unequal this time. You know, it is not lifting all boats. Uh, so there'll be a lot of people who are saying, you know, I'm happy that the billionaires are getting richer, but what are we doing to actually protect, uh, you know, me as an individual? How are how are we going to make sure that my job is safe, that I can grow my family, uh, that those who are less able to provide for themselves are actually taken care of, uh, whether it's minimum wage or it's uh, social services like age, you know, watching the UCP unindex age payments and then re-index them for because a windfall came you can't just do that because there's extra money today you got to come up with a smart plan for the future that is level and helps people every single day not just when it's convenient uh we've got a question here from mark doran in the live chat mark's uh, passionate about uh understands a lot about the energy industry but but more about environmental obligations and, and mark's done a lot of work on that he's appeared on the show in past he has a question for you carter he's wondering why the ndp like why not the alberta party why not the green party he says the greens are making moves on increased royalties we had a, a roundtable a few weeks ago called the other guys and we interviewed the the three party leaders uh, western independence green and alberta and uh it was an interesting conversation those on the fringe and maybe i'm part of the problem carter describing this as a two-horse race this next election but I, but i also think it's it, it's well quite frankly it's pretty obvious yeah i mean obviously you're part of the problem ryan but moving <laughs> forward they're not going to win they're just simply not going to win and when you look at uh where votes go uh they can go to the alberta party fine whatever uh but you're not electing the winner you're not going to elect the, the winner in the next election uh Barry did really well down in Brooks Medicine Hat. Well, that's where he lives. Um, you know, and by really well, I mean, he got his ass kicked. Uh, so if you're going to actually make change in an election, you have to recognize who's going to win and who's going to lose. Um, I happen to be the guy that you call when you start when you're at 2%, uh, when you're at 3%, when you're 4%. Uh, call me. I can help you win. I can't help these guys win. They can't win, period. What is it? Sentence. Why? What's the problem? They don't want to win. Hmm. They don't want to win. They don't want to take the steps that are required to actually put them over the top, Ryan. I mean, politics is a tough game. Politics requires that you behave like a politician. And for some reason, I don't understand it. They don't want to take those steps. Okay, that's fine. If you don't want to take those steps, you're not going to win. Um, I've worked with the Alberta Party uh, for years. Um, It's just simply not there at this particular moment in time. Will the Alberta Party be there in four years? I doubt it because they're not prepared to take the steps that need to be taken. Um, that's fine. Like the leadership process that led us to having Barry as, as the as the leader was pathetic. They called it during the municipal elections because they didn't want to have a has-been former mayor. I mean, you made it so that like a Nenshi can't run, you morons. Um, what's Nenshi doing right now? He's sitting around. He'd be pretty good, but he's not because you guys made it so that it's impossible for him to do it. So, and the Green Party, I mean, come on. Let's just not even pretend that that's a real thing. Why? Jordan Wilkie was on. He's the he's a salt of the earth guy. He's a firefighter. He laid out his plan for, he wants to talk about proportional representation. He wants to talk about all kinds of things that I think people could be keen on. You think it's just, is it brand suicide? Is that the problem? No one will vote green in Alberta. Is that what you think? 
Yeah, it's brands. It, it, it's the brand. And, and let's go back to this, Ryan. How much money did they raise? Right? Like if they raised less money than you made this episode over the course of a year, they're not going to be effective. Right? Like you can't win in politics unless you have resources and resources can be human resources and, you know, like volunteers uh, or they can be money. Um, but you really need both if you're going to be successful. And I would argue that the Green Party has fewer volunteers than have been on this panel today. There's only been three of us. So, I mean, realistically, they're just not going to be there. Let's not play these games um, that somewhere, somehow, someone's going to come from the back of the pack and uh, stun us all at the leader debates. I don't even think they're going to be invited to the leader debates. Um, but, like, I'd be shocked if you saw uh, Barry sitting there um, at the leader debate. What does he even represent? He doesn't have an MLA. He doesn't perform particularly well. He doesn't poll over 5%. Like, give me a break. I think people are going to show up to see the show. The people are going to show up to see Danielle Smith and Rachel Notley go toe to toe. And uh, I think it's going to be a hell of a campaign period. I mean, to be honest, I mean, it's a weird word to use, but I'm excited as a talk show host. I'm really excited. Uh, And I hope that we see some good policy. I hope it's good for the people. You know what I mean? This is why we have this is why this TPA is so important. Issues that matter to us, if we're going to get them in front of these these leaders, we're not going to do that through Barry, and we're not going to do that through the Green Party. We're going to do that through uh, a a concerted effort, especially in the 10 ridings that matter the most. Um, So you've got a couple of them in the the donut around Edmonton, and you've got, but most of them are down here in Calgary. Eight seats in Calgary that are right on the tipping point. If the election were held today, the UCP wins. And I think that's really hard for people in, in Edmonton to understand because every single seat in Edmonton goes orange. But in Calgary... The way that the the boundaries were redrawn, it is nearly impossible for the NDP to actually win. And you may be asking yourself, how did that happen? Who allowed those boundaries to be redrawn like that? The answer is the NDP. They are that good at politics. Hey, Carter, uh, is the NDP path to victory? Uh, just as we wrap here, I'm grateful for your time. Can can you kind of plot that out for us? Like what would have to happen Number one, stop behaving like the opposition and start behaving like a government waiting. Hmm. Governments and waiting explain policies to us and give us a time to understand what those policies are. They take a, a week, uh, two weeks, three weeks to talk about big policies so that those of us that aren't paying attention every day, those of us that aren't listening to real talk every day, allow it to sink into our heads over time. That's step one. Start behaving like a government and waiting, not an opposition party. Step two, learn how to speak Calgary. Calgary is different than Edmonton. Speaking Calgary requires that you actually begin to speak in Calgary. Now, you've got some great candidates down here. Um, Najwan in, in Calgary Elbow, Samir in Calgary, uh, I'm sorry, Najwan in Calgary Glenmore, Samir in Calgary Elbow. Uh, Kathleen Ganley was a minister before. She's a great opportunity to start speaking with a different and Calgarian voice instead of um, Rachel Notley trying to learn a dialect that she just simply doesn't understand. Huh. That's the second thing. The third thing is get started. Um, these campaigns are moving so slowly. They, it's like they've got all the time in the world. It's starting right now. People will be making up their minds as to who they can and cannot vote for. Not who they will and will not vote for, but who they can and cannot. Today is the day for the NDP to tell people in Alberta that they cannot vote for UCP and Danielle Smith.
Okay, Carter. So, so this is, and I, by the way, I want to let people know I, I appreciate you and Deirdre coming on to talk about this uh, when, when it's, it really is in its infancy. Uh, if people are interested in learning more, or getting involved, what's the best place for them to go? Uh, they can message me on uh, Twitter. My DMs are open. Um, they can also uh, throw an email at us at admin admin at ppac.ca. Admin P-P-A-C. at ppac.ca admin that's the most boring email address i've ever admin oh i'm sorry uh fuck you ryan at ppac.ca was already taken there you go Uh, (laughs) it's already taken was it okay hey stick around for verna's email and trash talk she doesn't like the language she's hearing on the show and you're part of the fucking problem carter fuck you it's nice to see you again everybody needs to subscribe to the strategist everybody needs to subscribe to the women of ab Polly. we were hearing from deirdre mitchell mclean it's too bad she wasn't able to stick around but it's great to see her face and always love seeing you buddy have a great weekend too, man. Yeah, there you go. That's Stephen Carter, not sponsored by Flair Airlines. Can progressives win in Alberta? What do you think? Talk at there's no admin at ryanjesperson.com, but there is talk at <laughs> ryanjesperson.com. So you can send us an email anytime. Uh, that conversation, of course, that real talk roundtable presented by our friends at Urban Timber, but there is a whole roster of supporters here that bring you this show every day, and that includes the team at Kubi Energy, their Western Canada's biggest and most reputable solar installers. I want to direct you to their Instagram. Just go to Instagram.com slash Kubi Energy. That's K-U-B-Y. Give them a follow. They have some great stuff on there. Great reports. A good sense of understanding on how solar has changed, becoming more reliable, more affordable. And also you can check out some of the the installs that they've done. Look at this. Their, Their team out there in the mountains. They're doing stuff on farms and industrial parks and, of course, a ton of residential installs, too. You want to know how much money will solar power save you? Your bottom line is obviously front of mind. Go check out that post on their Instagram page, instagram.com slash Kubi Energy. Hey, this weekend, if you're looking to treat yourself, treat the kids, maybe you're showing up to a birthday party or some gathering and you want to bring something you know everybody's going to love, why not pop by one of the Dairy Queens of Northwest Edmonton or Sherwood Park on Baseline Road? You've got till the end of the month for a buy one, get one free special. That's Dilly Bars, Dairy Free Dilly Bars, DQ Sandwiches, You buy six, they're going to send you out the door with 12. If you mention Real Talk at the Dairy Queens in Palisades, Nemeo, Newcastle, Westmount, and Baseline Road. Really excited to see their whole team out at the Real Talk Pond Hockey Classic. That's coming up next Saturday, February 4th. They're going to have DQ Burgers there as well at Larry Alexiak Field in St. Albert. You can learn more. Sign up. Maybe to volunteer. Maybe you want to play. Maybe you want to sponsor it. Maybe you just want to come watch. We're going to have bonfires. Johnny's going to be spinning the tunes. It's going to be a great time. Go to ryanjesperson.com. Click on the events link. We'll see our friends at Dairy Queen there at the Real Talk Pond Hockey Classic. I saw some squabbling in the live chat today. People were people were ornery. Yeah, what else people were new? ornery this morning. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> really appreciate the engagement that real talkers demonstrate week in and week out. We we had more 
trash talks. I mean, I know that this is those of you. I, I, I'm old school. I print stuff. I, Johnny gives me a tablet. I he gives hate me hearing also, that I, printer I, every morning. I know, but I just need to hold the papers. Plus, I get to use the tablet. Throw the, I know I should use the Go tablet. Green. But then it, Johnny, but then I get lost <laughs> in my inbox and I'm swimming around. Anyway, the point is engagement this week was off the charts. Real talkers. We love it. And so do our friends at local environmental services. Why? Because every Friday... They give you a chance to, to take the mic, you know, to have basically Western Canada hear what you need to say, what you need to get off your chest. Presented by Local Environmental, it's a tradition we call Trash Talk! Yeah, that's right. Verna writes in kind words. I love this email, but she says, Ryan, I congratulate you on your successful media enterprise. Your informative guests and pertinent facts have never been more needed in our province. She says, I sincerely appreciated the informative interview with Professor Bratt regarding the legal implications of the possible contact of the premier's office with prosecutors. But I was shocked and extremely disappointed to hear you using the F word in full, at least on two sentences. And I quit listening at that point and I've not tuned in since it should go without saying that such words are not acceptable in general society i consider such language to be disrespectful and a personal affront even an irritant and a pollutant to my audio space she says i would be interested to know what segment of society you're seeking to reach with such language and senseless banter that from verna I'm going to keep it classy in my response and just thank you for your email. Lorraine says, the city of Edmonton has been in business for a hundred years. You'd think by now they would have figured out snow removal. Here's the deal. We get snow from October to April, so why is there a problem every year? Now, we're not world leaders in snow removal, but we should be. Every single northern community should look at Edmonton for expertise in snow management. With all the high-priced help under the pyramid, why do the citizens of Edmonton have such shitty road conditions we have snow someone figure it out once and for all that from lorraine how about this one from Cowat who writes in and says jesmo i cannot figure out why people care for let alone have sympathy for a family that historically has literally seen itself as above all of us the royals can kick rocks as far as i'm concerned i'm supposed to feel bad for a spoiled brat who married a supermodel is wealthy beyond anything i'll ever know and wouldn't know the real world if it kicked him in his entitled ass give me a break Normal people have family drama, but you know what else normal people have to deal with? Reality! Paying rent, juggling kids, school, work, childcare, a heap of problems that neither of those two halfwits would ever have to deal with in their entire life. What a look-at-me spectacle they've created. Seriously, none of their problems matter to everyday people. All of them, including those who married into this medieval spectacle, should shut their mouths and patiently wait to fade off into history. I don't find any of them, spouses included, inspiring. To me, they're an embarrassing remnant of a past that no longer matters. That from Cowette. Breach. How about this one from Rob, who says, Jespo, I think that this whole Danielle Smith prosecutor CBC story plays really well for the Premier's base, the vast majority of whom believe that the only purpose served by the CBC is to be Trudeau and Notley's lying mouthpiece. For the entire rest of the rational world who actually knows a thing about journalistic ethics and how comprehensively they're governed, 
It would be virtually impossible for the CBC to publish a story like this without verifying their source as well as the validity thereof. It is, in fact, even more brutally difficult for the CBC to go through such a verification process if the source chooses to remain anonymous. This is why we have public servants running our own crown press agency instead of politicians doing it. We've already seen what happens when politicians start soapboxing and professing to be superior reporters to those at the CBC. Fired up again! Signs off, Rob. And we'll close with this from Karen, a.k.a. Raging Granny. I love it, Karen. She says, really, Charles Adler? You missed the mark on Monday's show when your comments about Pierre Polyev's rant were about the unprofessional production of it. You had nothing to say about the three minutes of hate-filled and inaccuracy that he hurled at the Prime Minister. He blamed Trudeau for his flight being delayed because he's in charge of, what, transportation in Canada? And we wonder why Trudeau is swarmed at a restaurant in Hamilton? His followers hear this? from him daily. If Polyev was commenting on federal government policy, that would be one thing, but this was hate speech against the Prime Minister. You and Jespo had the opportunity to call it out and you didn't. Maybe you need to listen to it again. That from Raging Granny. I'll tell you what, Karen, I'll put that in front of Chuck when he's back on Monday. In the meantime, have yourselves a wonderful weekend. Keep it between the lines out there, everybody, and we'll see you back here 8.30 Mountain Time Monday morning for more Real Talk! Real Talk is hosted by Ryan Jesperson, Executive Producer Josh Dunford, Technical Producer John Hicks, General Manager Katie Cook Chivers, Account Coordinator Lawrence Durlego, Human Resources Lena Shepherd, Website Design Mike Johnston, Voiceover by me, Perry Skelton. Real Talk's editorial board is Supriya Duvetti, Ahmed Ali, Brandy Morin, Anne Castleman, Corey Hogan, Harmon Candola. Catherine O'Neill, and Chris Henderson. Member Emerita, Julie Rohr. Real Talk is recorded in Edmonton, Alberta, on Treaty 6 territory, the traditional and ancestral territory of the Cree, Dene, Blackfoot, Soto, and Nakota Sioux, home to the Métis settlements and the Métis Nation of Alberta. Real Talk is a relay project. For more, check out ryanjesperson.com.